Welcome to New Hope Church's Sermon Series Podcast. The following message was recorded at our in-person services on Sunday, November 28, 2021. Visit newhopepdx.org to download teaching notes or to watch the full-length service. We cherish this time of year where the church across the globe anticipates celebrating the birth of Christ. Advent creates space within the hustle and bustle of the holiday season to reflect on the grace and miracle of Jesus' birth and connect with what it means for us today. Following a shorter teaching from Pastor John Rosensteel, you'll have the opportunity to participate in guided prayer led by our prayer pastor in residence, Jess Anders. And I'll be reading prompts to guide you through 10 minutes of reflection. Enjoy this week's podcast. Amen. Good morning. I was, uh, I was watching you guys at the back worshiping, and, and I was thinking as Psalm 139 was being read that, uh, that you being here, you singing, you breathing, you interacting, you smiling, you having emotions, it really is miraculous. And I don't think that's, that's hyperbolic. It's miraculous that I, I'm up here putting thoughts together. And David, uh, he kind of pulls back the curtain, if you will, on God and how God is intricately piecing us together in miraculous ways so we can function individually. He says that uh, he uses artistic terms that we're woven together, we're knitted together in, in the womb. Fearfully and wonderfully are you made. Fearfully and wonderfully am I made. One Old Testament scholar translates that section, awesomely are you set apart. Think about that, when you're having a rough day, Awesomely are you set apart, that our, our very existence is miraculous. And David, he was from another time, so he's being led by the Spirit to craft this song and this prayer to give us a sneak peek into the space and the place where God creates us. He had no idea what we know now. We know a lot more about what's going on in the womb. Uh, by week seven, a baby's head is formed. I think some pictures will come up. These are actual pictures of babies in utero. The nose is in place by week eight, toes by week nine, elbows by week 10, genitals by week 11. By week 12, the baby is essentially fully formed and only four inches and one ounce. Uh, by the end of the fourth month, a baby is opening and closing its fist and mouth. The circulatory systems are working. By the end of the fifth month, the baby has hair, maybe a mustache. No, I don't know. Uh, working muscles. The baby's now about 10 pounds and, or 10 inches in, in one pound. By the end of the sixth month, the baby is responding. Yet yeah, all the women who have had carried were like, 10 pounds? <laughs> Flashback. Uh, the baby is, uh, at the end of six months, responding to sounds and, and is hiccuping. If you talk to a woman that's carried a child, uh, like, they'll tell you that. Like, this baby won't stop hiccuping. You can't give them peanut butter to stop them, right? It's just like they just keep, keep going. I think the next time, and maybe you'll, I know there, there's women uh, that are pregnant today here, and uh, next time you pass a woman who's, who's clearly pregnant, I mean, you can think down, knowing Psalm 139 and kind of, I mean, don't stare creepily at the belly, that'd be really weird, but like, you can think, and don't tell them this, but you can think what's happening inside you is wondrous. I mean, it really is miraculous. Uh, the, the other side of that is that, that and I think we know this in, in inherently, that uh, there's maybe no more vulnerable creature on earth than a baby in utero. I remember when, when my wife Corey was, was pregnant with Eden and then Jubilee both times, I remember going uh, for our first 
kind of ultrasound where they're, they listen for the heartbeat, right? And that's kind of the advice they typically give. Don't tell other people you're with child till that point because they know the miscarriages can happen at a high rate. And I know in a room like this, many people have been touched by miscarriages and it's tragic, it's horrible. And I don't think I told this to Corey at the time, but I was really, really scared. <laughs> I was prepping myself for that because we had had friends that had gone through that. Like, how am I going to show up for my wife in this moment when I'll be devastated? So I was doing all of that kind of stuff. And, and praise God, by God's grace, we didn't have to go through that. And, um, and again, deep empathy if you have passed through losing a child that fashion. And so I just remember that like yesterday because I knew inherently how miraculous it was. I didn't know what was going on in there. Like, how could this be happening? And it's so vulnerable. And then, of course, when a baby is born, we know. We see how vulnerable a newborn is. It's, it's two months till they can even hold their own head up. If you hold a newborn and a parent gives you that privilege, what's the one thing they always tell you? Watch the neck. You know, it's like, it's like a swivel. You know, you got to like hold on to that thing. Four months before a baby can even turn over, like six months before they can sit up on their own, nine months before most babies can stand, and a year before most babies are walking. And then, you know, they can't change their own diaper and deal with that and feed themselves for years sometimes, right? And you compare human babies to other mammals like horses and giraffes and like that, they're literally like walking out of the womb, well, almost walking, right? It's just like... And many other babbles are coming out, and they're self-sufficient, and they're feeding themselves from day one. They're like, I got this. Back off. You know, not human babies. So I think we can suffice it to say that to be human is vulnerable. Can we agree on that? To be human as adults is vulnerable. If you remember last week, we talked about the gospel and death. And I used the metaphor. I didn't use the metaphor. The biblical writers used the metaphor that life is like a mist or life is like desert grass, or life is like a flower, or I updated the metaphor if you were here last week and actually did this on stage. Life is like, do you remember? A bubble. Like, that's it. We're, as humans, I mean, we know as babies, but as humans, we're so incredibly vulnerable, but there's good news. There's good news. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a positive aspect to being vulnerable, and I think we know this inherently in this room. You know this because you do life with one another. To be vulnerable is also to be known. To be fully vulnerable is to be fully known. I think we know this as humans. David knew this as a poet. And so David writes this. If you go to the beginning of Psalm 139, I think Hannah read verses 13 through 16. David writes this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. There's a vital connection between being vulnerable and being known. And can we just say it's scary? Some of you read this and you, now that you're seeing what God knows about you, you're like, oh boy, oh boy. That's not maybe a comforting thought. It's, it's frightening in a sense 
to be fully known. But this is the whole reason for the Advent season. It's the whole reason for Christmas, this relationship between being fully vulnerable and fully known. The gospel writers, there's four of them, four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And they give different accounts of the Christmas story. John gives a really unique account. John's is the theological backdrop to the story. And John's, uh, he just starts right in. There's no shepherds or mangers or wise men or, or, or virgin moms. There's none of that. John gives us the theological backdrop to what is happening at Christmas. And this is how John begins. In the beginning was the word... This is the Greek word logos. This is him referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and that word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and with him nothing was made that has been made. A little later, John writes, in this word, Jesus, this God become flesh, has made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Christians, in our historical tradition, we refer to this as the incarnation. It's one of those weird words you hear and you're like, what does that mean? It's a Latin word, and you can break it down, incarnate, in the flesh, God in the flesh. I want to bring back up the picture that came up when Hannah was reading. My friend Scott Erickson, he's he's an artist that now lives in, in Austin, and he creates these really incredible images that just provoke thoughts and wonder and questions. That's what our artists do in our midst, so thank you if you're a visual artist. And I love this image, because that's what John was telling us, that, that God in the flesh is Jesus, and that Jesus was back at the very beginning with words speaking the cosmos into existence. It's mind-boggling. I hope they have like DVD of that in heaven so we can watch it. Like, what was that like? And then this same God became a baby. I mean, what? The, the creator became the created. I was putting together this little sermonette, and I was reflecting on Psalm 139. And I've read it a lot in my life. I love it. It's a really beautiful psalm. And I always think about it in, in um, kind of from the perspective of myself, hopefully not in a narcissistic way, but I think that's what it's meant for. That, that when I'm having a rough day, when I'm down, when I'm feeling shame, I'm reminded that I'm awesomely set apart, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. These things are true. They're true of me. They're true of you. And then I thought, well, when Jesus was a boy, he knew the Psalms by heart. That was Jesus's prayer book. How cool is that? And at some point, Jesus, the little boy who's likely memorizing Psalm 139 and being affirmed that God is fearfully made him and wove it. He's thinking, wait a second, what? That's me. Like I not only am involved in this process of creating, I've become the created. I've entered the process. I mean, it's enough to make your head like blow up. The million dollar question around Christmas is why? Why would God, he didn't need to, why would God make himself fully vulnerable? And put, why would God put himself at, at, the, at the mercy, if you will, of a Middle Eastern teenage girl? Have you thought about that? Why would God enter the world at a time when the infant mortality rate was 36%? Well, I think I would say it like this, that God became fully vulnerable to be fully known. Up until this point, God was at a distance. God's in, in tabernacles and temples and clouds and in fire. 
God was kind of known, but God wanted to be fully known because only when we're fully known can we be fully loved and can we fully love. That is the reason for Christmas. Now we don't have to wonder what God's like. What is God like? Well, God's like Jesus. Brene Brown is a best-selling author. Uh, she got her start by being a, a shame researcher, which is an interesting pathway. I really like a lot of her stuff. And uh, one of the aspects that she's brought out that I've thought about a lot, she, she argues that um, you can tell how, how courageous someone is by how vulnerable they are. Isn't that interesting? She's like, you can tell how brave someone is by how vulnerable they are. I think you could just say it like, vulnerability is courage. We grew up with this misnomer that we think courage comes from the strong, for those people that power up, that have position and authority, that maybe are even bullies. I think those of us who have been around the block a few times know that isn't true, don't we? Those are the most insecure people. Those are really the, the, they're the most courageous, they're the most fearful people. I think she's right. I think the most courageous people are those willing to admit they don't have it all together that are willing to show people in their life uh, that they love and they feel safe around their blemishes, their brokenness, the way they limp when no one's watching, the way they, they're not perfect and they have sin in their life. Those are people that are the most courageous. And that is really, really frightening. Can I get an amen? I mean, if you don't say a hearty amen, you don't get what I'm saying. That's really, really frightening. And yet, uh, to not do that is a choice in and of itself. It's a choice to not really be fully known and not really be fully loved. One of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is this. I send it to people who have lost a pet uh, a lot of times. Um, and it would work for people that have lost loved ones, humans as well. C.S. Lewis writes, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So I think as we start the Advent series, what I'd like us to reflect on is that at the heart of Christmas, at the heart of God choosing to enter the most vulnerable state imaginable so that God can be fully known, so that God can love us and be loved, the heart of that is courage. Christmas puts God's courage on full display. Well, how about us? It's hard to say we want to be an embodied church here. We want to be practicing these things. Our mission is to follow Jesus and share his love. So we see Jesus showing us courage by moving towards vulnerability. What does that look like for each of us? What does it look like for us to practice courage and practice vulnerability this week? Well, I want to say, first of all, it doesn't mean just making yourself vulnerable to everyone. That's foolishness <laughs> because that's, you know, people are unsafe out there. And I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the people in your life that you've chosen to do life with, that are your tribe, your group, you know are safe as best you could know it, that they want a deeper relationship with you. What does it look like this week to lean into that instead of leaning away from that? I'll be, I'll be confessional. Like I, I know a lot of people. I do life with a lot of people, a lot of good people. And oftentimes I feel that. I feel the fear. I feel it in my body, like in my gut when it's happening. And I have that choice. I can lean in right now and be fully known, but it's risky. <sighs> I don't know. 
or I can lean away. But to lean away takes us back to what C.S. Lewis said. We lean away from intimacy. We lean away from being known. We lean away from being loved. I hang out um, with a lot of pastors in the city. It's a privilege. And I work with some other pastors to care for pastors in the city. So I'll be with some for a couple days at Mount Angel this week. And I'm, I'm with them all the time. And pastors are like any other humans. They get in a room and there's posturing. There just is, right? And everybody wants to feel like that, you know, they don't want anybody else to know that, you know, they're not a great pastor and their church isn't perfect, right? It's just, there's just that going on. It just is. I've, I've, been, I'm, I've been in this for a long time. But it only takes one. It only takes one person, one courageous pastor, man or woman, to break the ice by talking about how they don't have it all together. That maybe they think about quitting. And maybe they, don't, they think their church is falling apart, that everybody's leaving. Or that maybe they cope with all the stress by drinking too much or watching you know, too much Netflix or they've got a porn addiction. When those things begin to happen, I kind of sit up and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. That's, that's courageous. And that one person breaks the dam. And to see what happens in the room is unbelievable. And those pastors, those men and women in this town that have done that, they're the ones I do life with. They're, they're some of my closest friends. Uh, Henry Nowen says, friendship and love are impossible without mutual vulnerability. I agree with him. So what's it going to be, New Hope, this season? Can we, can we follow Jesus in this? Jesus' courage to make himself fully vulnerable, to be fully known. What does that look like for you this week in your relationships with one another? And what does it look like in your relationship with God? All of us in my prayer life, in your prayer life, there's a little like, I don't know that I want to go there. Well, here's what Psalm 139 tells us. God already knows. So it's kind of a weird game we're playing with ourselves. Lean in. Lean in. God became fully vulnerable to become fully known. What does it look like for you and I to do the same? Uh, Our prayer pastor in residence, Jess, is going to come up and lead us through a time of response. Thanks, Jess. We're going to just take about 10 to 15 minutes to pray and allow ourselves to be vulnerable with God, just as he was by sending his son Jesus to walk on the earth as a human with us. To guide our prayer, we'll use a practice called examine. Examine is a simple practice of reflecting and praying on the past. We will have slides and prompts with images that will last for about a minute each, allowing you to have time to pause, breathe deep, and reflect and listen to God. If you are online, you can look into the chat for those uh, prompts for you. If you would like to, you can use the handout that was given to you um, as you entered the sanctuary. Let's take a moment to pause our thoughts and breathe in two deep breaths. Recognize the Holy Spirit who is always with you. Allow yourself to reflect on this last week, month, or year through the eyes of your loving Father, God. So together, let's take two deep breaths. Spirit, 
we ask for your help as we reflect on this last week, month, or year. Remind us of the ways you spoke to us. Please look to the slides to guide your prayer time. As I reflect on this last week, month, or year, I am thankful for At the start of the season of Advent, I recognize the gift of I see peace as Reviewing this last week, month, or year, I have felt
these feelings reveal to me. These events have been unveiled to me. I showed the love of Jesus when I I did not show the love of Jesus when I Jesus, as we reflect on these thoughts and feelings, we ask for your forgiveness and guidance towards closeness and healing 
with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We are excited to share a new devotional podcast created specifically for the Advent season. You can find a link in the description of this podcast. We hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.